Thank you, worship team, for leading us into God's presence. How many of you this weekend or yesterday watched a sporting event? Anybody? This week? Okay, just wanted to see how many. It might have been on TV, it could have been live, whatever. A sporting event of some sort. Um, Brittany and I watched the baseball game last night. The Seattle Mariners made it to the wild card playoff game. It's the first playoff game they've made in 18 years. The last time they won one, it was 1995, which was last century. Some of you weren't even born yet. The Seattle Mariners to baseball is kind of like what the Detroit Lions are to football. Just, just saying, that's for Pastor Josh. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> anyway, it was a very interesting game. It went into extra innings. It went, went 18 innings. It was tied 0-0. And it went into 18 innings. At about 16, I, I went to bed. Uh, Brittany stayed up and watched the whole thing. But one of the interesting things, and I, I never really noticed this before, is as they got past the ninth inning, they started bringing in relief pitchers. And every inning or less, there was a new relief pitcher. And one of the things that they would do, the announcer would say, here's so-and-so, and he specializes in these four pitches. This one had a slider, a fastball, a changeup, and a splitter. I don't even know what a splitter is, but they named the thing, and then they talked about the opponent, the opposing batter that was trying to hit it and how successful in the past this batter was with this particular pitcher. And since it happened inning after inning after inning, I started taking notice, and I thought, wow, you know, there's one thing in common with every pitch, every pitch that they throw. It's designed to deceive the batter. It's designed for deception. They're, they're, they're trying to get them to miss it. So they have this target, and they're trying to hit the target and get them to miss the ball. It's all based on deception. And so there are thousands of people in the stands, and there's only two people that know what pitch is going to be thrown, the pitcher and the catcher. Everybody else is totally deceived. It's, it's based on deception. And why do they do that? Because they want the batter to fail so they can win. Okay? They want him to fail so they can win. It's all about deception. Now, that's baseball. Now, if you go to football, you take a, an Aaron Rodgers... What does he do? He practices deception, okay? He'll fake that handoff to the running back, and he goes back, and, and the, the wide receiver fakes this way and fakes that way and goes down, and then he throws the pass. It's all about deception. Why? Because they want the other team to fail so they can win. It's about deception. It's about deception. So there's failure so they can win. Well, we deal with deception every day. And we have a deceiver that wants us to fail, wants you to fail, and will do everything he can to deceive you and cause you to fail. 
life is full of deception. And it's tough. And because of that, we have this opponent. We have this opponent in this game called life. And that opponent is called Satan. Okay? Now, I, I, I put a lot of notes in here. Don't, don't get nervous about the notes. I want to put notes in because I want you to be able to read the passages and look at these passages later as well because there's no way we can digest all of this, this as we go. As we look at our world today, we've talked about the fact that we are living with deception. We are living with a warfare or competition between good and evil, between good and bad. And Satan is on one side and God is on the other side. And we have this this battle that's going on. Some people call it spiritual warfare. It's invisible, maybe in the realm of ideas or conscience or actions. It comes out in all the things that we see in our world today. And I don't think there's anybody here that would say that we're not being deceived somewhere or that there's no evil in the world. We see it all around us, all over the place. It appears that we're dealing with a political battle or the war of ideas or culture wars. It's an invisible war. It's a spiritual war. And in Ephesians 6.12, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. They are against us. Okay? They are. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert your enemy the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour, trying to devour us. There's this battle going on all the time. And you know what? If you're like most of us, we don't like to think about it. You know, just give me peace. Let me, let me have a nice life. I don't want to think about this battle. Well, it's so obvious today that we have got to deal with it. We've got to deal with the fact that we are in this. Now, what I wanted to do today is look at our opponent. Now, we have an opponent, the devil. But God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. But obviously, when we look at our world today, Satan has influence and presence. What does God allow Satan to do? And what are the indications that it's a spiritual attack? In other words, how do we know when this comes out? How do we know the devil's responsible for it? Because he would deceive us and pretend and it's not him. And what do we fight with? What do we fight with? Some people deny that Satan has any power. They try to minimize his role in history and the affairs of men. Well, the, the Bible teaches us to worship God, but be aware of Satan. Worship God, but be aware of Satan. Today, the sermon title is Be Aware, Not Alarmed. Be aware, not alarmed. We're going to look at several accounts of demonic and satanic activity and see what we can learn. Why? Because we need to know what his strategy is. You see, when the, somebody plays against the Packers, they've got to know what the deception strategy is so they can counter it, so they can win. We need to know what his Satan strategy is so we know how to counter it. What is he doing? Why is he doing it? We're going to start with what does God allow Satan to do? What does God allow Satan to do? The, the most well-known 
And the thing we think of most often is temptation, temptation, which is to test or put to the test. And we, we think of temptation as the subtle or not so subtle manipulation to try to get us to do something bad. Okay? I'm tempted to do something bad. More to the point, doing bad is, is giving up the authority of God for the authority of Satan. We can either line up with God and his purposes or we can line up with Satan and his wishes or authority. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So we all understand a little bit about temptation. The history, if you go back to the very beginning of, of, of creation, we find that Satan tempted Adam and Eve. Satan tempted Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Something about human nature, when it says you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do that, what do we want to do? That. Tell children the same thing. We don't really grow out of that. That's what happens. And he, he, he basically deceived. He said, you aren't going to die. This is what's going to happen. There's deception from the very beginning. Temptation. And it was enticement to get Eve to act against the explicit command of God. So from the very beginning, the first humans experienced temptation. Satan tempts. Also, Satan tempted Jesus. Jesus was tempted to, yeah. You look at Luke 4, verses 1 through 12. It says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them was hungry. So temptation, not only Adam and Eve, but also to, to Jesus, Son of God. He also tempts people. Okay? We know that. He tempts people. And his strategy is to deceive us. You won't really die. It's really not so bad. It's, you know, whatever it is, deceit, deception. First Thessalonians 3, 5 says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our effort, efforts might have been useless. Temptation. We are going to be tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So temptation is a reality. And it comes primarily from Satan. Okay? He's real. And he tempts us. Now, we can also be tempted by our own nature. This is number four. Our own nature. James 1, 13 to 14 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
So Satan will use our own desires, our own evil desires, our human humanity, human nature, to tempt us. It says he will drag us, entice us, and deceive us. So Satan is allowed to tempt us. When I say allowed, God is sovereign and all-powerful, but he has given Satan certain parameters or boundaries. Why did he do that? I, I don't know. Where did evil come from? You, you know, we can go back into the history of philosophical, metaphysical. We can go into all that stuff. We don't know exactly why. But there is a battle. Satan's powers are limited, but God's are unlimited. So when we look at that, temptation is common to all of us. And as an indication of spiritual attack, spiritual warfare, we deal with temptation literally every day of our lives. It's a reality, okay? It's a reality. What else does God allow Satan to do? Letter B, accusation. Accusation. Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the uh, accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. How does, how does Satan accuse us? How does he accuse us before God? Do you ever hear the voice saying, God's never going to forgive you for that. You're, you're not good enough. You're weak. You're incompetent. Guilt, accusation, feelings of hopelessness, maybe feelings of undervalue or worthlessness. All of these lies are at the root of Satan's accusation. And what's the, what's the basis of that? It's deception. He wants to deceive you by accusation. It's a deception. It's part of the, part of the lie of Satan. Jesus said Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. Accusations. Satan will use lies and misinformation to accuse us. How, how do we counter that? Of course, truth. Truth. What else does God allow Satan to do? Let her see physical attacks. Physical attacks. In Job, first chapter, Job 1, I want to read a little bit about that. Verse 8 through 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with him. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And he answered, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan answered, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then he allowed Satan to attack him physically. In the physical realm, he removed his hedge of protection. And there was a contest here. It's a very interesting study. We don't have time to get into it. Very interesting study between, between God and Satan. And Job was in the middle. He didn't know this contest was going on. But God allowed Satan to afflict Job 
physically and harm him physically. We looked at Paul, the apostle, in 2 Corinthians 12 last week. 7 to 9 says, Paul wrote, he said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God allowed, Satan caused. Now, there was a reason God allows this physical torment. We don't know why. But be aware, we can be attacked physically, okay? It's historical, it's biblical, okay? Then we have number three of the sons of Sceva. There's very interesting, interesting story in Acts um, where the sons of Sceva were attacked by an evil spirit. Um, book of Acts the disciples are going out winning people to Christ. And in verse 13 of chapter 19, says, Some of the Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirits answered them. I, lo- <laughs> I love this answer. Jesus I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? Who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Wow, it was crazy. Physical attacks. We'll talk more about physical attacks in a moment. But there are physical signs, and and there are physical attacks sometimes that come through evil spirits. And they may be indicators of Satan's attack. Now, not all things are caused by physical attacks or by Satan. You may have the flu because you overdid it, got run down, and got sick, okay? That doesn't mean the demons are attacking you. It means you didn't take care of yourself. Be aware. Not alarmed. What does God allow Satan to do? Letter D is a very interesting one. He can delay answers to prayer. What? How do you say that? He can delay answers to prayer? Yeah, yeah. He can. We pray and we pray and no answer seems to come. Has that ever happened to anybody here besides me? You pray, nothing has answered. I don't know why. We pray and no answer comes. It may be spiritual warfare or it could be angelic beings delaying your answer. There's a passage in Scripture that shows this in Daniel 10. Daniel 10 12 to 14 says, Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Because Dan- Daniel was in this situation. He got this dream and he wanted an interpretation and he prayed that God would give it to him. He said, Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But, okay, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. He stopped the answer from coming for three weeks. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Ah, whoever that was, some demonic force, being. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns 
a time yet to come. Daniel had been given a vision by God, had prayed, asking God to bring him understanding of the vision. Daniel's prayer was heard by God immediately, but an angelic being delayed the answer for 21 days until the angel Michael intervened. Okay? So our prayers can be delayed in the spiritual realm. Have you ever prayed for something, you know it's God's will, and you just had to keep praying a long time? Satan loves to keep our prayer answer from reaching us. Sometimes I wonder if we could see what's going on in the spiritual realm. Might be helpful, might be scary. We, I, I don't know. But sometimes there's a lot of stuff going on in the spiritual realm. We don't know. He just kept praying. It's invisible. So what does God allow Satan to do? He can possess people or animals. He can possess people or animals. Now, in Luke 8, there's the... the well, I guess we can read it. Let me, let me read it real quick. Verse 26. They sailed, this, the, Jesus was with his disciples. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. We'll talk more a little bit about demonization. But it is possible for demons to possess people, and we see later also animals. Now, what are some indications of satanic activity? You see something and you suspect something's going on, that's otherworldly or beyond your ability to see physically. What is it like? Well, there are, there are obvious signs, first of all, obvious signs. And that, that we just read about, a person who's demonized. Demonized mean under some, means in, under some degree of control by a demon or a devil. In the instance in Luke 8, the man was totally controlled or possessed. The man had no will of his own. It's extreme and it's real. I've witnessed total demonic possession. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that. It's frightening. It's frightening. But more common, more common, especially in America, well, if, by the way, if you talk to missionaries overseas, this is much more common to see in some of the third world countries where Christianity hasn't had this, this strong presence for years. It's much more common. But I'll tell you what, you go downtown in a major city and go into some parts of the city, I've seen it in Seattle, where it's obvious that people are demonized. Something, something's going on, it's otherworldly, it's crazy. Some of you have seen that as well. But more common are degrees of demonized or degrees of influence or control. And being under control might be more like an addiction like pornography or alcohol, drugs, or sexual addiction. We can give the devil a foothold or a place to influence. Now, a place of influence is what we're talking about. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 27, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. I want to concentrate on that for a minute. How many of you have gone rock, rock, done rock climbing? Have you done free climbing on footholds and things like that? Okay, some of you have. It's dangerous. Don't do it. It's, it's, I've never gone that far to rock climbing. But if you've ever done rock climbing, you know what a foothold is. It's a small place of leverage. You can't stop there and camp there. You use a foothold for leverage to move up or down. Okay? It's, a, it's, it's just a little foothold. It's a little place of leverage. And in this passage we just read, bitterness or refusal to forgive or hatred is an example of what he calls a foothold. A foothold. Through bitterness or unforgiveness, we can give the devil a place of influence or a foothold. Some call it a stronghold. If there is a particular sin, this particular one is unforgiveness or bitterness in our life, by our own free will, we can allow Satan to influence us. They allow themselves to be influenced by Satan. If there's a besetting sin, we give him a place. Any part of our life that is not totally surrendered to God can be used as a foothold or a stronghold. Now, can a Christian, can a Christian be demon-possessed? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. People always ask that. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Christians have the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling in them. Can they be possessed or controlled by a demon or Satan? No. No. I do not believe in the, what's called the trichotomy of the human being theology. People say you've got body, soul, and spirit. The spirit can be, be possessed but not the soul and body. We are one entity, body, soul, and spirit. One unit. We can't divide the body, soul, and spirit. The Bible doesn't make that kind of distinction. And I know there are people that say, one part of you can be demonized. I, I, I reject that. But that said, Christians can be influenced if we allow a foothold in our life. And all of us, as we go through life, need to always examine our lives and say, God, make sure that I'm free of footholds, free of bitterness, free of hatred, any besetting sin that's consistent in our life, getting rid of it, confessing it, letting it go. So those are obvious signs of demonic activity. Another one would be overt evil, overt evil. You take people like Adolf Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, Idi Amin, um, people who are practicing sex trafficking and Murder, murder and torture, those kinds of things. Overt evil. Obviously, there's satanic activity happening in those people's lives. Obvious signs of spiritual darkness. And then there's outright Satan worship. You know, I, I remember, probably it's 40, about 40 years ago, we had never heard of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey. 
he founded a church called the Church of Satan. Everybody goes, yeah, right. What's he doing? Um, the Church of Satan is alive and well in America. In fact, did you know that the chaplaincy in our military has to allow satanic priests to be part of the chaplaincy? Freedom of religion. Overt satanic worship. Satanic worship. And since Roe v. Wade was overturned, I don't know if you knew this, Roe v. Wade was overturned in most states, the satanic church in America has sued to have it reinstated because it's part of their religious activity. Killing infants. It's part of, that's part of what's going on in America. That's overt. Now, it's not hard to see overt signs of satanic activity any longer in America. Then there are occult practices, witchcraft, or white witchcraft for good, black witchcraft is for evil. That's what they say, uh, white witchcraft. When I was, when I was a, uh, a youth pastor, I was in college, I was a youth pastor at my dad's church in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I was at home one night, and they, there was a ladies' meeting at the church. And we got a phone call. We lived right across the street in the parsonage. Got a phone call. One of the ladies said, there's, there's some, some guy here that seems to be acting strange. Um, can you, can, where's your dad? And my dad was in a, a meeting somewhere. I said, he's not here. They said, can you come over? I said, okay. So I went over. And, and I ran into this, this guy in, in a basement hallway of the church. And he was acting really strange. And, and I asked him a couple of questions. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm looking for answers. And something was strange, so I asked him, I said, I said, have you ever had, and I don't know where I got this idea, God had to give it to me, I said, have you ever had anything to do with, with witchcraft? And he looked at me and he said, I'm a white witch. A white witch are those that supposedly use witchcraft for good. He said, I'm a white witch, and the moment he said that, he went into a trance. Now, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen that happen. I hope you never have to. All of a sudden, this guy is in a trance. He's being controlled by somebody else. I took him out from where the ladies were meeting, and I brought him up to the office, church office, had him sit down, and I called my dad. <laughs> Help! I said, I don't know what to do. My well, see, my dad was a missionary in Japan. He dealt with this stuff all the time in Japan, overt demonic possession and all kinds of things. And so he, he left the meeting, he came over, and I watched my dad, the pastor of the church, with the authority of Jesus Christ, deliver that man from demonic possession. I wasn't so scared at the end of that. <laughs> I was nervous, nothing to mess with. But that was something. That happens, it's real. And if you ever run into that, call Pastor Josh. Just in <laughs> I want you to encourage you to be careful. When they talk about white witchcraft, there's a lot of witchcraft and all kinds of things permeating books, movies, video games, TV shows that promote witchcraft. You guys see it all the time on TV. In movies. There are Disney cartoons 
Disney movies. And I'll say this, it might make somebody mad, Harry Potter. There's all kinds of occultic stuff going on to that. We need to steer clear of all those kinds of things. I remember the casting of spells in Bewitched. It was a popular TV show back in the 70s. It, it was a forerunner of the modern acceptance of witchcraft. It, it shows a normalization of witchcraft. I remember there, I've seen things where there's a bad boyfriend that's tormented by his girlfriend because he's flirting with another woman and they use voodoo or something. You know, This is all things that people do and it's, it's portrayed. It's not funny. It's real. It's real. This witchcraft is real. Staying away from that. Seances, attempting to communicate with the dead, which is forbidden by Scripture. Ouija boards, tarot card reading, palm reading, fortune telling, horoscopes, voodoo, all of these things, people, are occult practices forbidden and warned about in the Bible. And and let me just say this. If you, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody that's been involved in this, if you've ever been involved in any of these practices, you need to take care to rid yourself of these footholds because they are strongholds, footholds, and can be a place of demonic influence in your life and the life of your family. They'll open it up. I'm going to say something this may shock some people because you may or may not know this. Talking about the Masonic Lodge. If you have any Masonic activity in your family, be aware I've done a lot of research, studied this, I've taught on it. It is satanic. Most people think it's a nice fraternal order. You get to the upper degrees, there is an enormous amount of satanic activity. Most are unaware, but if you're connected in any way, if your family background, anything, you need to be delivered. It's an issue. These are all overtly evil signs of the work of Satan all around us. Indicators of spiritual attack. And when we see these things, typically we can identify them and say, that's demonic, that's evil, that's whatever. Sometimes there are subtle signs, subtle signs. And more often, obviously, in America, most of the Signs of demonic activity in our culture are subtle, subjective, evaluative. Now, we cannot nor do we want to blame the devil for everything. We, we give the devil too much credit. We don't want to give him too much credit or attention. Be aware. Don't be alarmed. Be aware. Sometimes a subtle sign is agitation, where you sense a conflict of spirits, I've been out in public or on a university campus and I've looked in the eyes of a person and there's this conflict of spirits. Now, I don't go looking for this stuff. But if there's agitation or conflict of spirit, it can be a subtle sign of spiritual warfare. The gift of discernment is critical. Maybe anger or rage. And I'm talking about uncontrolled or irrational anger if somebody's dealing with that can be a sign of some kind of spiritual 
input. Fear, this would be extreme fear, terror for no obvious reason. Maybe your spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, may sense something and you get chills down your spine. I shared with you that when we moved to, to Lakewood, this was in Tacoma, it was our first senior pastorate. And Lakewood is full of occult, demonic, uh, new age, um, all kinds of people that you would recognize their names that were involved in, in um, channeling Ramtha, Jay-Z Knight, all kinds of stuff. That was, we were right in the middle of that. And we moved in, into the neighborhood and started serving the church there. And every Saturday night, between three and four, I, I kid you not, I would wake up with this sense of evil. It was this incredible. It was like the house was surrounded by evil, ready to crush in and come into the house. And I'd get up and say, what is going on here? And I'd get up and I'd pray and I'd kneel and pray. And after a few minutes, it would dissipate. Happened every Saturday night for six months. Six months. There's a pattern. I mean, it, it was so obvious that every Saturday night there was this spiritual, they were trying to scare us. There was something going on. The last time it happened, it was the most intense I'd ever experienced. I got up and it didn't just go away. It lasted over an hour of me praying, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ, speaking against evil, and finally it just dissipated. It was gone. And Judy will remember I went back to bed, drenched in sweat, and I said to her, somebody is going to get saved today. Somebody's going to come to Christ today. Something broke today. Second service, the wife of an airman, Rose Montez, we're still connected on Facebook with she and her husband, walked up and gave her life to Jesus. The first convert that we ever had in Lakewood. First of many. There was an incredible sense of victory. There was evil sensing it. You have to say, is this, is this satanic? What is it? You experience it. You say, God is greater. God is greater. Severe doubt might be something else. Standing in opposition to, to faith. Maybe Maybe it's heaviness or a sense of oppression or darkness. Sometimes you, you, you get that sense that there's darkness out there. Maybe it's severe temptation. There's normal temptation, there's severe temptation. Could be sexual in nature, could be suicidal thoughts, an irrational urge to do something, strike out in anger, the out-of-the-norm temptation. Those are subtle signs. A direct spiritual attack. And then there's rebelliousness, 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23. Said, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. People ask the question, why is rebelliousness so 
harmful. Why is it so harmful? Because if it fights for God, it fights for Satan. If it's against God, it's for Satan. He compares it to the sin of divination, witchcraft, and occultic practices. I'll just talk just a, I want to talk about just a couple couple things. Then we're going to, we're going to come back next week and pick pick this up as far as weapons of our warfare. In 1 Peter 5, 8 tonight, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're not alone. It happens all over the place. How do we resist? How do we stand firm? How do we do battle? We're going to look at just a couple of, couple of things before we go on. First one is the name of Jesus. Now, we, we read about the sons of Sceva trying to use the name of Jesus because he's saying, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, I whatever. The name of Jesus is not a formula. The sons of Sceva tried to use the name of Jesus because it was a formula. The name of Jesus is not a formula. It's an established relationship of authority. Let me say that again. Using the name of Jesus to fight the enemy, it's not a formula. It's an established relationship of authority. Our authority was lost when we sinned, but it was reestablished when Jesus died. He was buried. He was resurrected, and he ascended to heaven. Then Jesus gave us the spiritual authority. You have it. You have it. On the basis of our relationship with Jesus, under his lordship, we operate under his authority and his kingdom. We are granted authority, and we use his authority as his representative, saying, declaring, in the name of Jesus. When I conduct a wedding, at the conclusion of the wedding, I say these words. By the authority vested in me as a minister of the gospel in the state of Wisconsin, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Okay? By the authority vested in me as a minister of the gospel in the state of Wisconsin, I pronounce you husband and wife. Now, that pronouncement actually makes them husband and wife, along with a marriage license. Okay? There's some legal things. Now, anybody can run around and say, I pronounce you husband and wife, I pronounce you husband and wife, I pronounce you husband and wife. It doesn't make it so. What makes it so is the authority that is vested in the minister of the gospel in the state of Wisconsin with legal laws. In the same way, people can run around using in the name of Jesus and be powerless to effect change unless they are under the authority of Jesus. They need to be under the authority of Jesus. It's relationship, it's lordship, it's submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ operating in the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus. We're going to pick this up next week. This is a long, uh, a lot of stuff, and I know that, that, and I wanted to put all these down on the notes.
so that you can look at it in your time. We have an incredible battle, and it's more obvious today with the evil coming out in many, many ways, even here in the city of Eau Claire. And I want to encourage you to say, now don't, don't look for demons and in people and everything else. Say, God, how do I submit myself to you and make myself pure before you? And then, God, how is it that you want me to exercise my authority in the kingdom of God? We're, we have deception all around us. People are deceived in every way. And we must, first of all, sense and understand the deception that the enemy brings and then stand up with the authority that we've been given to counter that. We have the living God inside each one of us. And I want to encourage you as we move forward that you exercise that authority in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us the not a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And I pray, God, as we, as we understand your power and the power of the enemy, I pray, God, that you will anoint us with wisdom and power by your Holy Spirit to counter all the deception and battle of the enemy. And I pray, God, that you would, by your grace and power, use us as individuals, use us as family members, use us as part of the community of Eau Claire to bring truth and righteousness and power in the Holy Spirit to make a difference and change in Jesus' name.